children. We think children are a part of our church. Actually, they are the church. Um, so children, you are more than welcome. But I don't know about you, but if you've got children, or if you were like me growing up, kind of the week before Christmas was the time you started to write your letters to Father Christmas. You started to write down your Christmas list. And I just wanted to share with you some letters that children had written to Father Christmas. One boy wrote this. Dear Santa, you didn't bring me anything good last year. You didn't bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. <laughs> and this one's brilliant. Dear Santa, there are three little boys who live at our house. There's Jeffrey. He's two. There's David. He's four. And there's Norman. He's seven. Jeffrey's good some of the time. David's good most of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. I'm Norman. Another child wrote this, Santa, if you are bringing presents that need batteries, bring batteries. <laughs> I heard a story of, about a, a year two teacher on the last day of term who, um, who sent their children off to kind of, you know, children in, in, in lower uh, key stages, they have this kind of free time where they can go and kind of do, do whatever they want. Um, and she gives them this list of options. He says, right, go and, go and do whatever you want. And, and 10 minutes later, she's kind of going around her classroom checking. Everyone's doing something creative and, and constructive. Uh, some were coloring, some were painting, some were in the sandpit. Uh, but little Harry, he was sat really intently at his table with, a, with, with a, a pencil and a piece of paper. And he was writing really intently. And she looked at the paper, and on the paper, he'd written this, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. And she said, Harry, this is lovely, but what's it for? She said, well, you said we could write our letters to Santa. I had to get one in. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? Um, Luke chapter 2, we have the narrative of Jesus' birth, and verse 1 to 7 is the narrative of the birth itself, where Jesus is, uh, how Mary and Joseph end up in Bethlehem, and notice these words, if you're reading it, it says, while they were there, and it's a common misconception we have, there was this mad rush to Bethlehem, actually that's not true, they, they, they got to Bethlehem in good time, while they were there, Jesus was born, there wasn't a, a mad rush to find a bed for the night, they were already there. Um, and it, and it, Jesus was born in a house in Bethlehem, and yes, I said house and not inn, um, and I won't go into it too much today, but the word we have for inn isn't the word that, that means inn. Actually, Jesus was born in a house. He was still born in a stable, still placed in a feeding trough, but it was in a house. Actually, someone made room for Jesus. Someone made room for Jesus. And then we get to verse 8, which says this, that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now, I don't know if you know this, but of all the jobs in first century Palestine, a shepherd was not the one you would have wanted. There's a book in Judaism called the Mishnah, and the Mishnah is, is a collection of additional laws. It teaches them, okay, how do you obey these different laws? It's instructions for Jewish living, and it says this, that a man should not teach his son the occupation of an arse driver, camel driver, barber, sorry, Lyndon, Sailor, shepherd, or tavern keeper, these are the trades of robbers. <laughs> How much do you charge for a haircut? <laughs> so, so most of these jobs, they were seen as lower class. They were seen as degrading, and shepherds didn't have good reputations. They were seen in the same bracket as tax collectors. If you know the story of Jesus, then we, we've got Zacchaeus and we've got Matthew, who are tax collectors. No one likes them. The Mishnah says you cannot buy anything from a shepherd because the likelihood is it's probably stolen. 
So shepherds are not trusted. The Talmud, which is another Jewish text, says that if you've got a, a court of law, you can't call a shepherd as a witness. So if something happened to you, a crime happened to you, and a shepherd saw it, they can't be called as a witness because they can't be trusted. That's shepherds. Even David, who was a shepherd, his brothers say this, why have you come down here? With whom did you leave these few sheep? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. They're talking about David. David the shepherd. David who couldn't be trusted. David who they couldn't rely on. So to be a shepherd was not good. And they're not even, when we look at these shepherds, this, you know, they're a bunch of rejects, but actually they're not even important shepherds. Because if you notice it, the, the important shepherds would be on the hills nearer Jerusalem. These guys are outside Jerusalem. Not only that, they're on the night shift. They're not even the day shift shepherds. These are the night shift shepherds. This is literally the B team shepherds. They're not good enough to be the main shepherds. They're, they're outsiders. They're overlooked. And do you know what sheep do at night? They sleep. That's it. So when you're sat there as a shepherd, all you are doing is watching sheep sleep. Your ideal night is a silent night. If your night's not silent, there's a problem. And, and a night where nothing happens is a perfect night. A night where you can go home to your wife and your wife says, what did you do last night? And you go, nothing. That's a perfect night for these shepherds. But it's an image of their life that actually nothing's happening. They're going nowhere. Literally, there's no excitement in their life. There, it is hours of nothing. Just going around in circles. So we've got these shepherds. They're outcasts. They're overlooked. They're unclean. They're unimportant. They are literally going nowhere. But it's these people that God calls to witness the birth of Jesus. It's these outcast, despised shepherds. They're the first witnesses of Jesus. I, I think that's incredible. That Jesus would, would, would be proclaimed to the shepherds first, not the wise men, not the royalty, not the important people, not the rich, but it was these lowly shepherds. They got the first view of Jesus. I love it. You know, the message will get to everyone soon enough, but I love that it's the shepherds that got it first. And the text goes on. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring joy to all people. The Savior, the Messiah, has been born today in Bethlehem. And I want to pause on these thoughts, because those angels, they're, they're essentially messengers from God. They're bringing a message, and they've come to deliver a message. And it's not just any message. It's actually a message of a special Delivery, and it got me thinking about the days when deliveries were something kind of rare and, and, and special. I don't know about you, I remember when I used to sit down to do my Christmas list, it was basically an evening with the Argos catalogue. Anyone with me? And you'd sit and you'd go through the Argos catalogue and you'd make your list. And we had the Argos catalogue, I think we've got an image, we've got the Woolworths catalogue, um, you had the Littlewoods catalogue. I remember one year I had a WWF catalogue. And I remember one year filling my list from that WWF catalog, and I'm pretty sure my parents must have lost the list, because I didn't get a thing off it. And it didn't affect me at all, by the way. But I want you to think about, you know, the, the weight that you used to have when you ordered something. Because I remember the days when you ordered something, you'd say 28 days. 
28-day delivery, and you would wait, and you'd, well, that's nearly a month. So if you wanted something in time for Christmas, you ordered it in October. You didn't know what you wanted in October. But you had, you had this long delivery um, time where you, you built up that anticipation. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And when it came through your door, it was all worth it. Because you built up that anticipation. You know, today ordering stuff's so easy. I could literally pick up my phone now, order something, and it can be at the door tomorrow morning. There's no excitement. There's no anticipation. It just comes. And, and do you know, you can have everything delivered to your house. Everything. Furniture, electrics, toys, tools, medicine, your food shopping, kebabs, pizza. Do you know you can get a Greg's delivered to your house? You can go onto the Greg's app and you can have a sausage roll delivered by this afternoon. And just in case you're not in, you can say, well, well, leave it in a safe space. Leave it in a safe space. That could be your shed, could be behind your back gate, or it could be like this woman under the doormat. <laughs> what I love about delivery now is, is we didn't have younger, is, is package tracking. Who likes package tracking? Where you can track your parcel and that brings the excitement back because you can go onto Amazon or you can go onto eBay and, and whatever you order your gift and you can set it to be delivered tomorrow or the next day or the next day and eventually you get an email saying we've received your order and you're like, mm -hmm. my orders come in and now that's special because I imagine someone in a warehouse somewhere going listen pack this carefully because Gareth needs this and they wrap your gift, and they send it off, and then there's another alert saying your package has shipped. Your package is on the way. And then you get another alert saying your package will be delivered today. And you get really excited. Because then they say your package is out for delivery. And you're like, are they on the M4? Are they on the A4042? Or maybe they're on the A467? Or maybe they're even on the A465? Where are they? And you start looking out your window. And I don't know, where, where we live, the sun, the way our house is set against the sun, you see the shadow before you see the car. So you see the shadow, you're like, is it a... <laughs> And then it comes. And then it comes and your package arrives and then you get another email saying your package has been delivered. Your gift has arrived. You know those shepherds in their fields, that whole night sky lit up for them. It was a notification from heaven to say, your gift has arrived. It doesn't matter if you feel like an outsider. It doesn't matter if you feel rejected. It doesn't matter if you feel overlooked. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're not good enough. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're going nowhere. If you're going through struggles or pain or worry or stress, you need to know, church, your gift has arrived. It's here. The gift is at your door. Jesus said this, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal as friends. Your gift is at the door. It's arrived. It's here. And it's up to us to say, okay, come in. I'm going to open the door of my heart and let the gift in. And the angels say this about the baby, and they describe him. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. 
He's the Lord. He's been born today in Bethlehem. And nowhere else in the whole of Scripture is that description used. It's the only place it's used here that actually he's your Savior. He's the Christ and he is the Lord. And can I tell you, there's no storm, there's no battle, there's no struggle, there's no illness that can stand against a Savior, Christ and a Lord. I'll say that again for those who didn't hear me. There's no battle, there's no struggle, there's no illness or sickness or storm that can come against a Savior, a Christ, and a Lord. Isaiah said this, a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He's our Lord. Everything rests on his authority. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus even quotes Isaiah later on. Jesus is talking about himself in a text that was written 600 years before Jesus was born. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's anointed to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that captives will be released. The blind will see, the oppressed will be set free. He's our savior. He sets you free from your past. He sets you free from sickness. He sets you free from oppressive thoughts. He sets you free from negative behaviors. And he's Lord because he's only, the only one with the authority to do it. He says this, the time of the Lord's favor has come. He's the Messiah you've been waiting for. The time of the Lord's favor has come. Your gift has arrived. It's here. Salvation, freedom, restoration, forgiveness, healing. It's here and it's at your door. So how do they find it? Well, the angel says, you'll, you'll recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And, and I want to just kind of knock out a preconception, misconception here, because sometimes we think that those swaddling bands are the sign that points to Jesus. Actually, they're irrelevant because every baby would be in swaddling bands. What the angels are saying here, that the sign isn't about where the child is. The sign is about who he is. This child, it's a sign for the shepherds. It tells these shepherds, these, these outcasts, these rejects, these ones who are overlooked. It's a sign to say, he's one of you. He's wrapped, he's lying in a manger. He's not in a mansion. He's not in a, in a, in a wealthy uh, person's house. It's a simple two-room, ordinary peasant house. The gift has arrived. It's at your door, not the door of the rich, not the door of the powerful, not the door of the famous. It's at your door. And they say this, and I love this moment because we get this, this suddenly moment, and he's joined by thousands of other angels, and we, we don't know how many. Some say thousands, some even say millions, and it says they start singing. And the words of this, this, this choir, that they, they come out, and it's almost like they've been waiting for the arrival, and they've been just anticipating this moment where they could burst into song, and they sing this glory to God in highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Can I tell you, I love Christmas songs. I love a bit of Mariah Carey. I love Wham. I like Band-Aid. But let, let me tell you something. Step into Christmas isn't going to help me when I'm in pain. Rocking around the Christmas tree isn't going to fix my problems. Oh, come, let us adore him. That'll heal my relationships. That'll ease 
my worries. That'll mend your heart. Why? Because the focus is on the one who's bigger than my problems. That gift has arrived. Glory to God in highest heaven. Peace on earth to those who God is pleased. There's two parts to this song. Glory to God. That's a song of praise. Quite simply, glory to God. The second part is this. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. It's a song of purpose. That God is going to bring peace to those he's pleased with. And if you look at that line, it's a little bit selective. Because it doesn't say peace on earth to everyone. It's peace on earth to those God is pleased with. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says that once we were God's enemies. Once we were God's enemies. And And it might sound a harsh statement, but the thing with God is you're either all in or all out. So if you're either all in or all out, with God there's no half measures. And it sounds strong because if God was some sort of half in, half out God, he's not God. God is all in. There's no kind of multiple shades of gray. You're either God's friends or you're God's enemies. There's nothing in between. And And the Bible says this, but if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So through Jesus, through this gift, through this child, there's going to be a reconciliation. Paul says this, that through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. He goes on and says, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we've got peace with God, because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. That's why the angels can say, peace on earth. Because of what God's done for us. Because of what Jesus has done for us. He says in another letter, he says that when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight. He gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Do you know what? We were in a mess. We were in a mess. I was in a mess. Can I go as far as saying you were in a mess? And Christ came. The gift arrived and it saved us. It wasn't because of anything we did. There was nothing we could have done to deserve it or earn it, but just because he loved us. He wiped away every wrong that we've ever thought, ever said, or ever done. Now, notice this in that order. Because God didn't make us right and then save us. And I think sometimes we can come into church and think, well, I've got to be good to get God. I've got to be good to even set foot in church. I've had people say to me when I've said to people, why didn't you, why didn't you come to our service and say, oh, I can't set foot in there, I'll burn. And it's not true. Because we think we have to get good before we can get to God. But Paul says this, that while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his own love for us. He didn't just tell you he loves you. He showed you. He showed you by sending Jesus to die on a cross for for everything you ever did. It wasn't after we asked for forgiveness. It wasn't after we repented. It wasn't after we sorted our life out. It was while we were still sinners. Now, please don't get offended by that word sinners. It just means you were going in the wrong direction. It's all sinners means. It's old language. It just means, hey, you're going in the wrong direction here to turn around. But Paul says this, while we were still sinners, while we were still going in the wrong direction, do you know what? You don't have to be good to be saved. 
And I love this line, you know, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. That's it. You don't have to be good to get to God. That'll come. All he's interested in is you as you are. And I, I, I beg you, let him revive your heart. Let him do a work in your life. And that's the first step on, on a spiritual journey, that God wants you to know the peace that's found in a relationship with him. He doesn't want you to just come in and sing songs and listen to a message and, and wander out again. God's not interested in religion. God wants relationship. He wants to be in a relationship with you. David says that in God's presence is fullness of joy. When you're in relationship with God, you get access to his presence. You get access to the presence of God. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. There's peace. There's comfort. And God offers this up-close, personal relationship. Not after you've got good, but while we're still sinners. And these shepherds, they, they, they have a choice. Because the angel comes and the angel and their kind of their notifications light up and the whole of heaven lights up and the angels say the gift has arrived. I don't know about you, but when the door knocks at your house, you've got a choice. Do I keep watching loose women or do I get up and open the door? These shepherds had a choice. They'd had an incredible experience. They'd met these angels, but still they could have said, okay, that was nice. They could know about the baby, or they could go and see it. And I want to suggest there are, there are loads of people who know about Jesus. They know about Christmas. They know about this child that was born, but actually they haven't made a decision to go and see it. And these shepherds had a choice to make. This was either just going to be another nice time together on the hills, or this was going to be an experience that they'd never forget, that would change their lives. And we have to make that decision whether this Sunday is just a nice time together or whether we want to go further and actually find Jesus. Text goes on. It says, when the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened. And I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. Your gift has arrived. It's at your door. And you can leave it outside. Or you can go and open the door and see what's waiting for you. Shepherd said this. Let's go. Let's see. It says they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. The gift had arrived on a silent, still night. That gift had arrived when nothing else was happening. The gift arrived to a bunch of nobodies. The gift had arrived. I'm going to invite the band back up. And, and you might be thinking, okay, well, what do I have to do to, to receive that? What do I have to do to, to find that, that peace? Can I tell you, you don't have to do anything? It's already done. It's already been done for you. God just says, you just have to say yes. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. All you've got to do is open the door. 20 times in the Bible, Jesus says, ask. And there's a great line. He says this, until now, you've not asked for anything in my name, but ask and you'll receive. Your joy will be complete. 
If you want peace with God, just ask. If you want a relationship with God, just ask. Wherever you are in life, however you feel about yourself, you are one sincere, heartfelt prayer away from your life changing. And that's where I'd love to lead you in a prayer, if I can, where you can just invite God into that space. The gift has arrived. It's outside your door. And this is the moment where you can say, okay, God, I'm opening the door. So I'd love you to just join me as we pray together. Would you bow your heads? Father God, we accept that we've gone our own way. And quite often it's the wrong way. But we thank you this morning that we're reminded our gift has arrived. A gift of forgiveness. A gift of redemption. A gift of new life. The gift of your son. So this morning we choose to say yes. We choose to say yes to Jesus, to open the door, to let him into our lives, to let him into our hearts. We thank you that the peace of God will come. Father God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for setting us free. We declare you as Lord of our lives. And we pray for your peace, for your strength, for your confidence, for your guidance. We thank you for the gift. And we choose today to say yes. So Lord, we all pray that our silent nights would be full of peace. That our days would be full of your joy. That as we reflect on that silent night, God, you would remind us of your peace. Remind us of your presence. That we would join with the angels in singing, Christ the Savior is born. God, help us to be like the shepherds that we would go and see. And then we'd go back to tell others of all we had seen, that Christ, our Savior, is born. The gift has arrived. Why don't we stand together and the band are going to lead us.